All right, how's everybody doing today? Hotep, hey, this is Michael M. Hotep, founder of the African History Network, host of the African History Network show. It is Monday, December 25th, 2023, and we are live. So I'm a talk show host, researcher, lecturer, writer, and historian. So today's presentation, you've heard me talk about this topic uh, in the past. But today's presentation, since this is the Christmas season and we just had the winter solstice, uh, today we're going to discuss uh, Christmas origins, the winter solstice, ancient Kemet, one of the original names for Egypt, pagan traditions, and astronomy. And we're going to get into what the winter solstice is and the connection between the winter solstice, which marks the first day of winter, usually falls on December 20th, December 21st, December 22nd months in a while, December 23rd, and the origins of the celebration of Christmas and why Christmas is celebrated on December 25th. And this deals with uh, going back to ancient uh, history and mythology uh, coming out of ancient Kemet, ancient Egypt. All right, so get ready to take notes also i'll give you information about where i'm speaking for kwanzaa and give you information about the uh, uh kwanzaa bundle pack we have with my two online history courses as well as uh my digital download lectures we have all that in the bundle pack right now for limited time only for uh 100 okay all right so now you know if you've heard me speak before uh, you know, I, I talk about how I may say some things that are outside the circumference of your own awareness, uh, just because you've never heard them before, disagree with them and don't like them does not mean it's not true. It just means you have to do some research to understand what I'm talking about. Okay. And I want to go to the slide here. And I learned this from one of my teachers, Dr. Ray Hagens, uh, from the African village. So. Oftentimes when, uh, you know, I speak, I do lectures uh, and I deal with information that be, may be controversial. I usually have people put their fingers together to form a circle. And I usually say something like this. The space inside this circle represents my realm of knowledge. Everything that I think I know about whatever I think I know is represented within the circumference of the circle. I must keep in mind that there are still things to know that exist outside the circumference of my own awareness. OK, so just because. You know everything that you know about what you know does not mean you know everything there is to know about what you know. Uh, there's still things that exist outside the circumference of your own awareness. Okay, so I'm not telling people don't celebrate Christmas, but as a historian, and I've studied the history of all of these uh, European holidays, I think it's very important for us to understand the history behind these holidays we've been taught to celebrate and even if you choose to continue celebrate them, celebrating them, once you understand the history behind them, it'll probably change how you celebrate these holidays, okay? And two books I encourage people to read. And when I was studying the origins of Christmas going back about 13 years now, going back to about 2010 or so, 2009, 2010, these are two books uh, that I read in preparation for my lectures uh, dealing with the origins of Christmas. These are books by uh, Dr. Ishaka Musa Barashango, African People and European Holidays of Mental Genocide. 
African People and European Holidays and Mental Genocide. This is book one, the yellow book, and this is book two. And he deals with the origins of all uh, these European holidays we've been taught to celebrate. So I'm going to give you, uh, I have a slideshow presentation. And uh, some of this comes from a three-hour lecture I've done dealing with um, the uh, ancient Kemet, the winter solstice, and the history of Christmas, which is available at our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. And um, we have some articles I'm going to share with you as well. Okay, so you're going to learn a lot, hopefully, today. All right, now, uh, we just commemorated the winter solstice. And the winter solstice occurs on December 21st. Uh, so we're dealing with the winter solstice. We're dealing with how it connects to uh, ancient history as well. All right. Now, this is a good article um, dealing with uh, dealing with the winter solstice from CNN.com. And when we deal with this history, it ties also into uh, ancient Kemet and Asar, Aset and Heru, who the Greeks called Osiris, Isis and Horus, uh, the first holy trinity. And it deals with Heru being born of a virgin birth on uh, December 25th. Okay. Uh, so in this is one of the uh, pictures that you'll see here. One of the depictions of Osset, uh, the, the virgin, the mother, with the horns and the sun disc. Heru in the form with the falcon's head, uh, the adult Heru with the falcon's head and Asar in the middle. And the Greeks called the Greeks referred to them as Isis for uh, Osset, um, Heru they called Horus, H O R U S, and Asar they called Osiris. So we'll get into some of this mythology as well. Okay. Um, all right. So even when we look at the uh, Notre Dame Cathedral, right? And Notre Dame means Our Lady. Uh, when we look at Notre Dame Cathedral, uh, we see that it was uh, built on the remains of a temple dedicated to uh, Isis. And this is also where the Black Madonna and Child comes from, because the uh, uh, Europeans were worshiping the Black Madonna and Child uh, even before uh, the African Moors go into Europe. OK, so we're dealing with uh, going back hundreds of years ago. Okay, and, and really understanding the influence from uh, ancient Kemet and the Nile Valley, Nile Valley region of Africa uh, on Europe. So, and when we look at this history, Europeans were literally worshiping uh, uh, African people, okay? Uh, even before the Moors go in, but even after the Moors go in in 711 AD, they were literally worshiping uh, African people. They were influenced by, you know, both Greece and Rome were influenced by the teachings coming out of the Nile Valley region of Africa. And it's going to be that 800 year occupation of Europe and what these African Moors take into Europe, which is going to bring Europe uh, out of the dark ages. And as we see a rise in the European phenotype, we're going to see, as we see a rise in European powers, we're going to see a rise in the European phenotype. And uh, different images that were uh, historically African, we're going to see those reinterpreted as European, uh, mythological uh, figures, religious figures, etc. Okay, so we go from uh, Osset with Heru to the Black Madonna and Child to the decolorized version uh, of this with the uh, white uh, 
white virgin mary and baby jesus so we're going to get into uh this conversation now when we look at the constellation of virgo virgo in latin means virgin and originally the constellation of virgo was the constellation of Osset. uh in ancient times uh virgin uh the virgin Osset. uh well let, let me let me go to this article here from uh cnn.com and we'll look at the winter solstice so this is an article from december 21st 2023 winter solstice the shortest day and the longest night of the year winter solstice the shortest day and the longest night of the year so the winter solstice marks the first day of uh winter okay and it usually occurs on right around december 21st it could be december 20th 21st what happened okay winter solstice the shortest day of the year and the official first day of winter we knew it fell on thursday december 21st 2023 okay uh this article also also deals with how the solstices uh work and they deal with the solstices and the equinoxes so solstices and earth's hemispheres now the winter solstice marks the shortest day of the year and the longest night in the northern hemisphere when the sun appears at its most southerly okay directly overhead at the tropic of capricorn directly overhead at the tropic of capricorn so that is constellation of capricorn the situation is the reverse in the southern hemisphere where only about 10 percent of the world's population lives there the december solstice marks the longest day of the year in the beginning of summer in places such as Argentina, Madagascar, and, and South Africa. In places such as Argentina, Madagascar, New Zealand, and South Africa. Now, when exactly does the winter solstice occur? When exactly does the winter solstice occur? The winter solstice uh, usually, but not always, takes place on December 21st. The date that the solstice occurs can move forward or back by a day because the solar because the solar year, which is the time that it takes for the sun to reappear in the same spot as seen from the earth, does not match up exactly to our calendar year. Okay. So the solar year, um, it, so the earth rotates around the sun counterclockwise, okay. And it takes 365 days, five hours, 48 minutes, and about 46 seconds for the Earth to rotate around the sun counterclockwise. All right. Um, and this is this is where the uh, Gregorian calendar comes from, the calendar that we use today. The Gregorian calendar introduced by Pope Gregory uh, the 13th is right around 1582, 1583, about, about 1583. Okay, the previous calendar was the Julian calendar named after Julius Caesar. Now, if you want to be super precise in your observations, the exact time of the of the 2023 winter solstice uh, was uh, 327 uh, UTC time, coordinated universal time on Thursday, um, Thursday, December 21st. Okay, according to EarthSky.org and the farmers and the farmers almanac. All right now. If we look here at uh, this, this article also deals with um, some winter solstice 
some the what causes the winter solstice what causes the winter solstice okay and you see some pictures of the earth okay these images from um no noaa's goes east satellite shows us what earth looks like from space near the winter solstice the images were captured about 24 hours before the 2018 winter solstice because earth is tilted on its rotational axis we have changing seasons because earth is tilted on its rotational axis we have changing seasons as the planet moves around the sun each hemisphere experiences winter away from the sun and summer when it's tilted toward the sun okay um and if we look here i want to go to one of my slides and we'll come back to this this deals with um i have a slide here dealing with the winter solstice also uh which goes through and kind of demystifies it uh this deals with uh what determines when christmas is celebrated what determines when christmas is celebrated How's everybody doing? Give us a thumbs up. Give us a heart. Give us a like on this broadcast. All right. Now. This comes from uh, this information comes from McGraw-Hill Dictionary of Aviation. McGraw-Hill Dictionary of Aviation. What is the winter solstice? Now, the winter solstice is the instant at which the sun reaches the point of maximum southerly declination on or about December 21st. A solstice which occurs when the position of the earth is at the perihelion or when it is nearest to the sun, but its north pole is inclined away from the sun. It occurs when there is winter in the northern hemisphere and summer in the southern hemisphere. Now, if we look at the etymology of the word solstice, S-O-L-S-T-I-C, the prefix sol, S-O-L, means sun, and that's Latin. The um, suffix stit, S-T-I-T, is the past participle of sister, okay, which basically means souls, uh, basically means stand still. So the word solstice literally means sun stand still. Okay, and we know from December 22nd, 23rd, 24th, uh, the, uh, the sun appears to uh, stand still. And then uh, on December 25th, there's, uh, there's more and more sunlight. And it, it, the sun moves one degree northward, there's more and more sunlight. So in ancient times, December 25th was known as the birth date of the Son of God, not the S-O-N, but the S-U-N, okay? Uh, I'll give you some more information on that. All right, now let's continue here. And I have notes on this as well from previous presentations that I've done. So I'm going to refer uh, to some of my notes also. Um, so the solar year, yeah. Uh, Pope Gregory the 13th, 1582, the Gregorian calendar. Um, if we look here, I want to go back to the article from uh, CNN.com. Okay, because they get into um, some ancient festivals as well. Okay, winter solstice traditions, winter solstice traditions. It's no surprise many cultures and religions celebrate, um, celebrate a holiday, whether it be Christmas, Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, or pagan festivals. And I'm going to break down what the word pagan actually means, because we've been taught that 
the word pagan is something negative and it's oftentimes used in a negative pejorative way but pagan by by in the original form is not something negative uh that coincides with the return of longer days okay it's no surprise many cultures and religions celebrate a holiday uh whether it be christmas hanukkah kwanzaa or pagan festivals that coincides with the return of longer days ancient peoples whose survival depended on a precise knowledge of seasonal cycles marked the first day of winter with elaborate ceremonies with elaborate ceremonies and celebrations spiritually these celebrations symbolize the opportunity for renewal spiritually these celebrations symbolize the opportunity for renewal now uh Maria Kennedy, assistant teaching professor in the Department of American Studies at Rutgers University, told CNN Travel in an email, Christmas takes many of its customs and probably its, its date on the calendar from the pagan Roman festivals Saturnalia and the, the uh, Roman festival called the Calends, K-A-L-E-N-D-S, the Calends. So if we look at these two festivals, and I and I deal with these in my lecture, especially the one dealing with um, ancient Kemet, the winter solstice and the history. Uh, it's a three-hour lecture available at our website, uh, the African History Network, um, either on DVD or digital download format. Uh, the Roman Festival of Saturnalia started on December 17th, and the Festival of the Kalends, K-A-L-E-N-D-S, okay, this started on... Uh, January 1st, okay, said uh, Professor Kennedy, who specializes in Christmas studies. Now, citing academic research, uh, Professor Maria Kennedy uh, said early founders of the Christian church condemned the practices of these holidays, but their popularity endured, okay? The founders of the Christian church condemned the practices of these holidays, but their popularity endured. Now, Christian observance of Christmas eventually aligned around the sign in the calendar, even though there's no specific date in the gospels for the birth of Jesus. Okay, so now this may go outside the, the circumference of some people's awareness, okay? Nowhere in the biblical text, the biblical text, does it state that Yeshua or Jesus the Christ was born on December 25th, okay? Now we know it was Yeshua before Jesus because the letter J was not created till 1630 AD. The letter J is derived from the letter I. So in my classes, like like my class, Ancient Kemet, the, uh, uh, ancient, uh, the uh, Understanding the Transatlantic Slave Trade, Ancient Kemet, the Moors and the Ma'afa, Understanding the Transatlantic Slave Trade, um, I take people to one of the online uh, dictionaries that I use, one, one, one of the online etymological dictionaries that I use, okay? And this is etym online, all right? So if we look at this quickly here, and I'm going to make this very brief, etym, etymonline.com, all right? So we just type in Jesus, all right? And then we look at what comes up. And... Etymology deals with the word origins of words, okay? Deals with word origins and the 
languages that they come from. So Jesus, personal name of the Christian savior, late 12th century. It is the Greek form of Joshua used variously in translations of the Bible. Late Latin, Iesus, I-E-S-U-S, okay? Uh, from Greek, uh, I-E-S-O-U-S, Isus, from the Greek Isus with an I, which is an attempt to render into Greek the Aramaic Semitic proper name Jeshua, Hebrew Yeshua, with a Y, Y-E-S-H-U-A. Now, Yeshua means Jah is salvation. Jah is salvation. Okay, this is the this is the etymological origin of the word Jesus. And when you hear Rastafarians in reggae music talking about Jah, like Bob Marley talking about Jah, this is what this is related to. So Yeshua, Yeshua means Jah, J-A-H, is salvation. This was a common Jewish personal name during the uh, Hellen Hellenizing uh, period. It is the late form of Hebrew uh, Yahshua, which became Joshua with the J. Okay, read the rest of this. I want time to get into all this because I have a lot of information to cover. Uh, check this out here. Okay. Now, once again, like I said, this may go outside the circumference of some people's awareness. This is why you have to do research. This is why you have to understand not just history, not just culture, but also language. All right. Okay. Now, let's continue. Let's go back to this piece from um, CNN.com. All right. And this deals with the winter solstice. And you have to understand astronomy. All this comes together. Okay. And I've done ext extensive research on, you know, the history of Christmas and uh, is one of the most fascinating of all the holidays. And I've studied the origins of all the holidays. It's the most fascinating. It's the most in-depth. All right. Now, um, let's see. I want to go to where I want to go. You can read this full article, but there's a couple of things I want to hit on. Okay. The Festival of Saturnalia. The Festival of Saturnalia. Um, in ancient Rome, Saturnalia lasted for seven days. The Festival of Saturnalia lasted for seven days. It honored the Roman god of agriculture, Saturn. Okay, and 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 the plant Saturn is also named after the Roman god of agriculture, Saturn. The uh, oh, and, and that's also where the word Saturday comes from as well. Now, the people enjoy carnival-like festivities resembling modern Mardi Gras celebrations and even delayed their war making. Slaves were given temporary freedoms and the moral restrictions were eased. Saturnalia, the festival of Saturnalia, continued into the third and fourth centuries A.D., into third and fourth centuries A.D. Um, it is not just ancient Europeans who marked the annual occasion. The uh, Dongzi. I'm not exactly sure how to pronounce that. Ji, Dong Ji, D O N G Z H I, Winter Solstice Festival has its roots in ancient Chinese culture. The name translates roughly as extreme of winter, extreme of winter. Okay. Uh, so you can read uh, more about that. All right. Now, I want to look at uh, some more information here dealing with the winter solstice, and we'll show the connection between this and uh, Christmas and how and why Christmas is celebrated on December 25th. Like I said, nowhere in the biblical text does it state that Yeshua or Jesus the Christ was born on December 25th, 
All right. So give us a thumbs up. Give us a heart. Give us a like on this broadcast. And then uh, also, if you like this type of information, uh, you can register for the we have our uh, Kwanzaa bundle uh, right now uh, for a limited time only. It is it's at our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. And it has uh, two of my online my two online history courses that I teach. Each one is over 30 hours. Uh, They're basically all on demand. And you get 15 of my lectures in digital download format. Uh, that's 76% off. Uh, so it's on sale $100, okay? And it makes a great gift. It makes a great Kwanzaa gift. Uh, it's great teaching, great learning. Uh, I do a PowerPoint presentation. We have book references, articles, video clips, all of that. So it's right now at our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, okay? Uh, and that sale is going on until January 1st, 2024. All right, let's continue here. Uh, there's an article from history.com, the official website of the History Channel, that deals with the winter solstice as well. And this piece here, let me go to this article, and it's just, uh, it's just a couple things here I, I want to look at. You can read the article in its entirety. Also, the information uh, for my online classes in the and the uh, course bundle is in the description here of this broadcast. So you can look in the notes and we also have our uh, cash app and PayPal information if you want to support the African History Network. OK, if we look at this article here from uh, History.com, History.com is the official website of the History Channel. Uh, this is one of the sources I use in my online classes. I use numerous sources. It's usually 80 to 100 articles I reference, numerous books. But they have a lot of good information here. Uh, winter solstice. This this article was from December 11th, 2023. It was dated. Winter solstice is the shortest day and longest night of the year. In 2023, the winter solstice takes place on December 21st. But they go through and uh, talk about how humans may have observed winter solstice as early as uh, the Neolithic period, the last part of the Stone Age, beginning about 10,200 B.C., beginning about 10,200 B.C., okay? Uh, so then they go and then they talk about uh, ancient solstice festivals, okay? Um, Roman holidays, ancient solstice celebrations, I should say, Roman holidays, Ancient Romans held several celebrations around the time of the winter solstice. Saturnalia, a holiday in honor of Saturn, the uh, god of agriculture, was a week-long week celebration in the days leading up to the winter solstice. So it usually fell around December 17th, uh, the festival of Saturnalia. Saturnalia was a hedonistic time uh, when food and drink were plentiful. A hedonistic, a hedonistic time when food and drink were plentiful and the normal Roman social order was turned upside down. For a month, uh, enslaved people were given temporary uh, freedom and treated as equals. Business and schools were closed so that everyone could participate in the festivities. Also around the time of the winter solstice, the Romans observed the festival of Juvenalia, 
the Festival of Juvenilia. Uh, and this was a feast honoring the children of Rome, the Festival of Juvenilia, like uh, derivative of the um, word juvenile. Now, in addition, members of, or similar to the word juvenile, in addition, members of the upper classes often celebrated the birthday of Mithra. Okay, now this Mithra was, uh, the birthday of Mithra fell on December 25th. Mithra was a sun deity uh, worshipped amongst the Persians, okay? And this was an ancient Persian deity or god of light, L-I-G-H-T. It was believed that Mithra, an infant god, I-N-F-A-N-T, an infant god, was born a rock. And let me try to zoom in on some of this, okay? So Mithra, the ancient Persian deity, uh, a god of light, was the, Mithra's birthday was December 25th. For some Romans, Mithra's birthday was the most uh, sacred day of the year. In the, in the later Roman Empire, Mithra blended with the, the Roman deity or Roman god Sol Invictus, S-O-L. There's that prefix again, which means son. Not the S-O-N, the S-U-N. Okay, Mithra blended with Sol Invictus, which which is the god of the unconquered sun, S-U-N. This is what Sol Invictus means. Now, some theorists believe the early Roman Catholic Church may have chosen the same date for Christmas in order to supplant pagan rituals. Okay, in order to replace pagan rituals, though many Christian scholars dismiss. But when we look at this historically, basically, this is what you see. As the Roman Empire is conquering groups of people, what they are doing is they are, the Roman Empire is incorporating into their celebrations some of the elements that the people who they are conquering are already celebrating to make the transition easier and to make the people accept being conquered, to, to uh, make them accept being conquered more. OK, so as they start incorporating these what are quote unquote pagan traditions, and I'm going to show you what the word pagan means, all this gets blended together. OK, so this is when you study the history, this is what you see. Now, some people don't want to admit this, but, you know. Hey, I ain't make this up. Now, you hear about Yule and Yuletide, like in the song, uh, Yuletide carols being sung by a choir. What's Yule? Y-E-L-E. -E, okay. Yule is the ancient Norseman or Nordic, as referring to northern Scandinavia, the, eight, the ancient Norseman uh, or Nordic Scandinavia uh, celebration. They celebrated Yule from the winter solstice through January. So this comes from Scandinavia, Yule. Yuletide. And this all gets incorporated into Christmas. And we just know why we repeat them. We just participate in things and don't really know what we're participating in. Now, in recognition of the return of the sun amongst the Nordic in Scandinavia, fathers and sons would bring home large logs, which became known as Yule logs. Y-U-L-E, Yule logs. They would set one end of the logs on fire. The people would feast until the log burned out, which could take as many as 12 days. Now, this could be the this 
probably contributes to the origin of the 12 days of Christmas. Now, the 12, the 12 days of Christmas is basically from December 25th to the eve of the Epiphany, which is January 5th. The Epiphany is January 6th, which is the first appearance of Yeshua or the, the Christ child, okay, visited by the Magi, the, 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 the three kings, the three wise men, okay? So that December 25th to January 5th, is is that's where 12 days comes from it's possible that um the 12 days that it took for the yule log to burn could contribute to that as well but when you study christmas christmas tide christmas tide refers to the christmas season refers to the 12 days of christmas now the norse believed that each spark from the fire represented a new piglet new baby pig or calf that would be born during the coming year okay all right, so read, read the rest of this also. It's a fascinating article, deals with a lot of history. And what, one of the good things about studying um, uh, the origins of Christmas is that it deals with so much history, culture, language, all that, okay? All right, so take a look, take a look at this article here. And let me see, what is there anything else in here? No, I think, uh, yeah, that's all I wanna cover here. All right, so check that out. That's a history.com official website of the History Channel. Let's continue because I have a lot of information uh, to go through. Okay, let me go to, uh, I want to go back to my slides, my PowerPoint presentation here. Now, I talked about the word pagan, okay? Let's look at what the word pagan actually means. And then we're going to go through uh, some more of these slides here. Uh, where is that? Pagan. Now, pagan is a word that is misused to speak negatively about a group of people. It's, it's used, especially in European anthropology, um, et cetera, European archaeology, European anthropology. It is um, designed to speak pejoratively or negatively about a group of people, just like the word primitive. OK. Primitive means primary or first. Now, if they say African people were primitive people, well, we we were because we were the first people, but they use it in a negative term. They use it in a negative way. So we have to understand how these words are used, okay, and, and, and deal with the real meaning and disarm them of this weapon. So let's look at Pagan. All right, and uh, S.B. Lampkin uh, in Detroit said, awesome, always great information. All right. I wanted to do the broadcast Sunday, but I, I was tied up Sunday and I was tired. I couldn't I couldn't do it. And this, I had to go back through all my notes and pull this presentation together. So everything smoles, uh, flows pretty smoothly. All right. Now, if we look at this definition of pagan from the American Heritage Dictionary, a pagan is as a noun is an adherent of a polytheistic religion in antiquity, especially when viewed in contrast to an adherent of a monotheistic religion. Okay, now right there, you're dealing right there, you're dealing with uh European superiority. Because the mistake Europeans make, especially like archaeology, anthropology, things like this, is they say that African people believed in many gods. And 
that and they say, well, Europeans, you know, uh, with the three Abrahamic religions, you know, with Christianity and, and Judaism and then and then Islam. But they say uh, Europeans believe in one God, the supreme being. OK, so then they try to elevate. Now, this may go outside the circumference of some people's awareness. So they try to elevate Christianity and say, oh, well, the, 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 these primitive people, these pagans, they believed in many gods. They were heathenists, things like this. Right. They don't want to tell the truth. African people dealt with the many manifestations of that one supreme force of that one supreme principle. When you study the different uh, 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 spiritual systems coming from Africa whether it's coming from ancient Kemet, you know, and they're dealing with Amun-Ra or Amun-Ra-Pata, whether it's Master Yoruba and, uh, uh, and dealing with the spiritual system of Ifa, Olodumare. They all believed in a supreme being, but they, they, but they dealt with different manifestations of that supreme being. And they, they named those different aspects of that one creator. And these were helpers, emissaries of the creator. You have the same thing in Christianity. You have the same thing in Christianity. They just disguise it as something different. They call them patron saints. Okay. So let me show you this in a minute and I'll show you exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, let, let's continue here with this definition. Okay. So an adherent of a polytheistic religion in antiquity, especially when viewed in contrast to an adherent of a monotheistic religion. Now a neo-pagan is an offensive term, one who has no religion, an adherent of a religion other than Judaism, Christianity, or Islam. They, 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 they are a neo-pagan, okay? Now, if we look at the etymo etymological derivation of the word pagan, uh, it's Middle English coming from late Latin, paganus, P-A-G-A-N-U-S, from Latin, which means country dweller, civilian, from the word pagus, P-A-G-U-S, which means country or rural district. So basically, what pagan means, it, it just referred to something indigenous to a group of people who lived in rural areas or what we may call today people who live in the country. It just dealt with something indigenous to them. Because of white supremacy, because of European anthropology and archaeology and, and you know things like this, pagan has become something negative. But in its purest sense, it's not something negative, okay? So we have to be careful of, of how these words are used and how we use these words. All right, now, uh, let's continue here. So let me show you an example of what I'm talking about, okay? Now, if we look at patron saints, right? And let me go to my slide here on patron saints because I, I teach about all this in, in my classes. Um, where is my patron saint slide? Okay, we got Bishop Nicholas, okay. What is a patron saint? Now, we look at the Britannica Concise Encyclopedia. You can also go to Britannica.com. Britannica.com, I have a subscription to Britannica. I have subscriptions to so many things. Washington Post, New York Times, pay National Geographic $25 a month, Time Magazine, Atlanta Journal-Constitution, $10. Britannica.com, $8.99 a month. I, have, I monitor about 35 different news sources on a daily basis. And a lot of this stuff I have to pay for because once you read, like, three, four, five articles in a month, the paywall comes up. You have to pay for all that stuff. Um, a patron saint is a saint to whose protection and intercession a person, society, church, place, 
profession or activity is dedicated. This is a patron saint. The choice is usually made on the basis of some real or presumed relationship. For example, St. Patrick is the patron saint of Ireland because St. Patrick, who was a former British slave and who was, now this, this may go outside the circumference of some people's awareness. St. Patrick was a mass murderer for the Christian church because St. Patrick killed thousands of Druids to force Christianity on the people of Ireland. And when I do when I do my presentation dealing with the history of St. Patrick's Day, we get deep we get deep into this. So St. Patrick is a, is a patron saint of Ireland because he is credited with introducing Christianity there. Now Patrick was British, okay? Because Britain, this is before you have England, okay? Uh, England doesn't come about to about 11th century A.D. something like that. This is. Uh, 432 common era AD when uh, Pope Celestine I sends a British slave named Patrick into Ireland and, and, and what we would call the area we would call Britain was under the control of the Roman Empire at this time because this is before the fall of the Roman Empire. The, this is before the fall of the Western portion of the Roman Empire in 476 AD when it gets crushed by the Vandals and the Visigoths which then pushes Europe into what we call the dark ages. And we know it's going to be the, the, the Africans, the, the uh, African Moors led by Tariq Ibn Ziyad in 711 AD when they go into the Iberian Peninsula today known as Spain and Portugal. The teachings that they take from the Nile Valley region of Africa, especially ancient Kemet, are going to bring Europe out of the dark ages. And then the next age that Europe goes into is called the Renaissance age. It's an age of enlightenment. L-I-G-H-T, enlightenment. Light is associated with knowledge, okay? All right, now, if we look at this here, so some popular patron saints throughout history, St. Maurice, who was an African Moor, and he was a Christian. St. Maurice was the patron saint of Germany. St. Patrick, patron saint of Ireland. St. Nicholas, the, the real St. Nicholas, who had the little children, who Santa Claus is named after, Okay, because Santa Claus means Saint Nicholas and Santa Claus comes from um, the uh, the Dutch religious figure called center class, center class and center class is Dutch for Saint Nicholas and center class wore a red and white outfit, had a long beard. And this and this this religious figure of center class is brought into the, the to the colonies in the United States in the 1700s. And then in the 1800s is going to be uh, that religious figure is going to be transformed into the secular figure of uh, Santa Claus. And it's going to be the cartoonist Thomas Nast, N-A-S-T, who's largely credited with introducing uh, what we know as Santa Claus, the, the, the um, secular figure of Santa Claus, the jolly fellow with the long beard and the uh, red and white outfit, okay? That's credited to Thomas Nast. Um, also, Center Class had a sidekick named Joie de Piet, which means Black Pete, and Joie de Piet was a Moor. We'll talk about that in, in a few minutes, okay? One thing at a time. All right, now, so we uh, let's go back to patron saint, okay? 
so uh the patron saint and let me go back to the patron saint slide where is that that's so many slides here hold on okay here we go saint nicholas is the patron saint of amsterdam and russia saint benedict the moor patron saint of palermo and san Frantello, uh sicily he was also called Imoro, Imoro, which is Italian for dark skin. He's also called the African and the black. Okay. So that just gives you some information, uh, background information on uh, patron saints. Now, if we look at this right here, I want to go to page 168. of now valid contributions to civilization by my friend tony browder okay let's look at this because what we're going to see is we're going to see how the netaru which are the deities in the spiritual system coming out of ancient kemet ancient egypt and these are the different manifestations of that one supreme principle okay of that one supreme deity amun ra amun ra patal uh, whatever it is, um, we're going to see these different manifestations. Okay. So, and I'm going to show you, I'm going to zoom in on this also. Okay. How's everybody doing? Give us a thumbs up. Give us a heart. Give us a like on this broadcast. Also, if you want to support the African History Network, uh, dollar sign the AHN show through Cash App, dollar sign the AHN show through Cash App. Also through PayPal, paypal.me forward slash the AHN show that helps us keep doing the research, stay on the air, uh, keep broadcasting, pay for a lot of these services that I use, et cetera. And be sure to uh, register for the, you can order uh, my bundle pack. Uh, we have our, our Kwanzaa bundle pack right now, 76% off. You get my two online history courses. These are extensive history courses, over 30 hours uh, in both classes. Uh, Ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa, understanding the transatlantic slave trade, where they didn't teach you in school, and black resistance movements from the Haitian Revolution, U.S. Civil War, Civil Rights Movement, and Black Power Movement, 1800 to 1968. All right, I put together both of these curriculums, and you get 15 of my lectures in digital download format. That's on now for $100. That's 76% off. All right, um, uh, let's continue here. Okay, so let's look at this here. And I interviewed Tony Browder um, back in April 2023. We talked about why Nile Valley contributions, uh, why Nile Valley history is, is important. Okay, this comes from page 168 of Nile Valley Contributions to Civilization. And it deals with Dehuti, who the Greeks called Thoth, okay? And Dehuti, I'm going to go, I'm going to blow this up here. Uh, Dehuti, let's look at this one right here. We're going to look at Dehuti. We'll look at Hermes amongst the Greeks and Mercury amongst the Romans. All right. Now, over on my left, it gives a, a breakdown of these three deities that we see. And it says Dehuti, D-J-H-U-T-I, D-J-H-U-I-T-I. Dehuti, the netter of science, writing, measurement, divine articulation of speech and medicine, holds in his hands two staffs with entwined snakes, two staffs 
with entwined snakes. One serpent wears the crown of Upper Kemet or Upper Egypt. The other wears the crown of Lower Kemet or Lower Egypt. The Houthi was referred to as Thoth by the Greeks, T-H-O-T-H, -H, Thoth by the Greeks. So if we look here, we see now the Houthi is, an, is a deity with the head of an ibis, okay, which is a bird, an ibis. We see the Houthi has two staffs. There's a snake wrapped around each staff, okay? The Houthi is also holding an ankh, which is the African symbol for eternal life, all right? Now, the next deity or next what Europeans call a, call a god with a small g is Hermes. Hermes, H-E-R-M-E-S, was the Greek equivalent of the Houthi. He is shown... Um, he is shown carrying a staff with, which has two entwined snakes, one staff with two snakes wrapped around it, okay? It was called the Staff of Hermes, the Staff of Hermes. In Greek mythology, Hermes was associated with wisdom and the hermetic sciences were named in his honor. Now, and then when you study the origins of uh, Freemasonry, you see that the 42 books of Hermes were essential uh, to Freemasonry as well, okay? Now, the, okay, so if we look here at this image here of Hermes in the middle, he has, um, Hermes has uh, one staff with, two entwined snakes, okay? He's shown carrying a staff, which has two entwined snakes. Now, the next deity is the Roman deity of Mercury, the Roman deity of Mercury. And we see, you know, Mercury, like when you watch uh, uh, the old Hercules cartoon and, and you know, you have Mercury uh, and, you know, different mythological uh, renderings of Mercury, you see Mercury with the wings on his feet, right? So Mercury is, uh, it says Greek, but Mercury is actually Roman. Mercury is the Roman version of Hermes and the Houthi. And he is similar in all aspects. The staff that Mercury carries is called the Caduceus. And it has been adopted as the universal symbol of medicine. So the, you see when you go study this, you're going to see how the deities, the Neturu, these different manifestations of the one supreme force, are going to influence the deities in Greece as well as Rome. Okay. Now, this book here, uh, let's see. This book here breaks down different deities in it. Okay, now this is Ancient Egypt by Lorna Oaks and Lucia Gallen. Okay, and I use this in, in the class also uh, sometimes. It's a, it's a good book. It's written from a more European perspective, but you can get your feet wet because it's full color. It has all this stuff from Ancient Kemet in it, okay? But there's uh, one thing that I like in here is that it has a, uh, and which page is that? It has a 
guide in here to the different deities. Now, it's from a European perspective, the deities, because they have the, the Greek names for most of them. Um, but where the hell? I thought I had a dog ears. Where is that? Hold on, let me find that. Okay. Uh, just a second here. I got a number of pages dog-eared. Where is that? Okay, so they like for instance, they show the tomb of Nefertari. Show the pyramid of Khafre. All this. This book was nine dollars and ninety nine cents when I bought it back in two thousand nine. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if it's in print or out of print right now. But uh, where is that? That is. Let me look in there. Let me see if I find it in the table of contents because there's a good. Um, there's a good chart that they show. Oh, I think it's page 266. There's a good chart that they show of all the deities. Well, not all the deities, but a lot of them. Okay, right here, 274, 274 and 275, the deities. Now, they should call them the Netaru, but they refer to them as deities. But it goes through and it shows the different aspects of them, okay, uh, uh, of these different deities, all right? Um, and it shows uh, Ma'at, the deity Ma'at, who's the personification of truth, justice, righteousness, harmony, balance, order, and reciprocity. So you deal with the seven virtues of my aunt so it's a good it's a good reference this is, the book is a good reference okay now let's continue um i want to go back to the slide hold on because i have a lot of information to get through okay now dahuti hermes and mercury Okay. The staff that Mercury holds is the caduceus and it has been adopted as the universal symbol of medicine. So when we look at this right here, we see that this comes straight out of ancient Kemet. When you see the caduceus and we look at this right here, Arizona Latin American Medical Association, you see a staff with two uh, uh, snakes wrapped around it and the wings of, that's probably the wings of Ra, okay? Uh, the sun deity Ra, that's straight out of ancient Africa. Europeans did not create that. That's straight out of ancient Kemet. That's straight out of the Nile Valley region of Africa. So we have to become history detectives because there's symbols of Africa all around us. But if we've been stripped of that collective memory, then we don't we don't understand this. OK, so we have to remember we have to just like the 13 pieces of Asar's body. After Asar was cut up by his brother Set, the 13 pieces of Asar's body were put back together by Osset. 
okay, his wife, and the 14th piece was missing. That is the uh, Tekken. That's where you get the Tekken from, which is the Washington Monument. And I got a picture of a Tekken in here somewhere in this presentation. Uh, I may have to go to my other presentation here dealing with uh, the one from uh, Understanding the Transatlantic Slave Trade. But this is where the Tekken comes from, which is an ancient African symbol of resurrection coming from the story of Asar, Asar Oset, and Heru. All right, this right here. Let me see. Let's drop this in because this should be part of uh, this presentation. And what I'm going to do, hold on. I'm going to show you all this together because all of this is connected. This is why, this is why the history of uh, Christmas is so, so fascinating because all this uh, history is connected. Hold on, let's do this here. Just a second, let me take this out. And I want to drop this in. Okay, let me drop this in here. So, a lot of the founding fathers of the United States were free for Freemasons. We know um, fifty of the fifty-six signers of the Declaration of Independence were Freemasons. 50 of the uh, 56 signers of the Declaration of Independence were Freemasons. 13 signers of the U.S. Constitution were Freemasons. And Freemasonry is based on the teachings coming out of ancient Kim and ancient Egypt that the, that the African Moors take into Europe. Now, the Washington Monument, like I said, is an ancient African symbol. Uh, of resurrection coming from the story of Osar, Oset, and Heru, who the Greeks called Osiris, Isis, and Horus. And there were about 1,200 Tekkenu all throughout ancient Kim and ancient Egypt. Uh, today, they're less than a dozen. And they've been taken to uh, places around the world, like London, England, New York City, and Paris, France. Many people will see these structures there in London and New York City, things like this, and attribute these to Europeans. These were stolen from Africa. This comes from our ancestors. But we have to become history detectives and understand how to decode the symbols. This is why a symbols dictionary is so important. This is the symbols dictionary I use. This is not the only one that exists, so you can, if you find a better one, go for it. This is called Signs and Symbols, an Illustrated Guide to the Origins and Meanings. And when we look on the front of it, we see ancient Kemet in ancient Africa. We see the, the, um, the Eye of Heru. We see a pyramid. Uh, we see uh, uh, the Caduceus right here. Okay, Universal Symbol of Medicine coming straight out of ancient Kemet. All that. Then you look on the back, you see an Ankh, the African symbol of eternal life, an Ankh. A-N-K-H, you open it up on the first page, you see Haru as a falcon. Signs and symbols. Now, if you didn't know any better, you, you attribute all this to Europeans. This is Africa. 
So this is a, a good uh, symbols encyclopedia or dictionary. It contains uh, 2,000, about 2,000 symbols, decode the secrets and uncover the origins and meanings of over 2,000 signs and symbols from ancient hieroglyphs, the metal netter, to modern day logos. Is Africa all throughout here. But if you think that you're nothing but an N-word because you just, you listen to negative corporate control hip hop all day and you think, you, you know, you're a thought in a bad B and and all, all this de, uh, dehumanizing, pejorative, negative, derogatory terms that are thrown at us, you won't know that this is talking about you. Well, if you think your history started in slavery, okay, you won't know that this is talking about us. All right, now let's continue here. Everybody all right? Everybody like very quiet. Okay, now, uh, let me just show you some more of this dealing with Tekken, right? So ancient Egyptians, ancient Kemetic people called the obelisks or Tekkenu. Okay, the Greeks call them obelisks. They're Tekkenu. You'll see different spellings for Tekkenu. Tekkenu for plural. And they were also used to tell the time in the past. Their pinnacles were basically covered in gold to reflect the sunlight. Historians say that obelisks represented immortality and, and eternity, and their long structure helped connect the heavens and the earth. Currently, what's known as Cleopatra's Needle is the name given to three ancient Kemetic or ancient Egyptian obelisks or Tekkenu, one in New York City, one in London, England, and one in Paris, France. However, they do not all come from one Egyptian site. The obelisks in New York or the Tekkenu in New York City and London, England are carved out of red granite from the quarries of Aswan, a major source of stone for uh, Egyptian antiquities. The two obelisks were commissioned by Nesubiti or Pharaoh Thutmose III for the Temple of the Sun in Heliopolis near modern day Cairo with each weighing about 224 tons and stands 68 feet tall. Now, this is a fascinating article from facetofaceafrica.com from May 17, 2022, called Cleopatra's Needle, How Three Ancient Egyptian Obelisks Ended Up in New York City, London, and Paris. Okay. Now, there were approximately 1,200 Tekkenu built in ancient Kemet, but only about a dozen or less than a dozen are found in Egypt today. Many of the Tekkenu removed from Egypt are now in Istanbul, Turkey, London, England, Paris, France, Berlin, Germany, New York City, Rome, Italy, and Vatican City, and elsewhere throughout the world. The Tekkenu are now called obelisks by their new owners, and few people know their origin or that they symbolize the resurrection of the African king Asar. Now, this comes from um, page 17 of Egypt on the Potomac by Tony Browder. And this is one of the books we use in the class also. And I talked about the Hermetic Sciences and Freemasonry. The word Mason is derived from the Latin word ass and sun. Mason means child of light and expresses the desire to pursue light, L-I-G-H-T, which is a metaphor for the sun, which symbolizes knowledge. The term child, the term child of light or sons and daughters of light was first used to identify students who had completed 42 years of study in the temples of ancient Kemet, ancient Egypt.
many Masonic temples, and there's a Masonic temple right here in Detroit that we held our high school graduation in there, Cash Technical High School, over 30 years ago. Many Masonic temples were modeled after the temples in ancient Kemet, ancient Egypt, places where light or knowledge was imparted in a series of steps or degrees. D-E-G-R-E-E-S. So when you read, for instance, um, uh, George G.M. James' book, Stolen Legacy, okay? And in Stolen Legacy, George G.M. James talks about the trivium and the quadrivium, and he talks about the seven liberal arts, the arithmetic and the logic and different things like this, right? That comes out of ancient Kemet. The concept of liberal arts colleges comes out of ancient Kemet, ancient Egypt. This is Stolen Legacy by George G.M. James, okay? Um, Greek philosophy is stolen Egyptian philosophy. Greek philosophy is stolen Egyptian philosophy. And while you're at it, also read um, uh, one of Dr. Malefe Keti Asante's books. And I just interviewed Malefe, uh, was it April of 2023? I just interviewed Malefe that we dealt with the Queen Cleopatra, the seventh controversy in the documentary from Jada Pinkett Smith. The Egyptian philosophers, ancient African voices from Imhotep to Akhenaten. This is before the Greek philosophers. OK, they, they, they deal with ancient Kemetic philosophers before the Egyptian philosophers. Before Aristotle, Socrates, Plato, all those ex, uh, Anaximander, all those uh, 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 Greek philosophers. All right, let's continue here. So this is page 18 and 32 of Egypt on the Potomac. Now, Masonic temples are considered houses of light or temples of learning. The term Mason, child of light, is a direct reference to the highest degree of the comedic education system. The 33 degrees of instruction within Freemasonry represent a fraction of the 360 degrees of instruction that comprise the ancient comedic system of education. Yet with less than 10% of the wisdom of our ancient African ancestors, Freemasons have held positions of influence and power throughout the world for over 200 years. This is page 33 of Egypt on the Potomac by Tony Browder. Okay. All right. Now, so when we look at, we talked about the Houthi. Now, this relates to Christianity. How does it relate to Christianity? Well, I'm glad you asked. Page 95 of Nile Valley Contributions to Civilization. Browder talks about how the story of Asar Aset and Heru, and Heru being born of a virgin birth on December 25th, is the first story in, record, in the recorded history of man of a holy royal family, or the Trinity. The Immaculate Conception, the virgin birth, and the resurrection, okay, evidence of this trinity is known to have existed in ancient Nubia, Nubia or Ta-Nehisi, and Nubia is the mother of ancient Kemet, as late as 3,300 BCE, before the Common Era or before the Christian Era, as late as 3,300 BCE, which means it existed before then. We're talking about over 5,000 years ago that you have this holy, that you have this trinity carved on the walls of the temples of Luxor around 1380 BCE, before the Common Era, or before the Christian Era, are the scenes that depict the following. Now, some of this may go outside the circumference of some people's awareness. 
just because you never heard it before, disagree with it, or don't like it, does not mean it's not true. It just means you may have to do some more research to understand what I'm talking about. Okay? Let's look at this. The Annunciation. Okay, so the bottom, the drawing in the bottom, my bottom left-hand corner, number one. The Annunciation. The Netter, the Houthi, who I just showed you the, 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 the depiction of the Houthi with the two staffs and the snake wrapped around each staff. Okay? The Netter, the Houthi is shown announcing to the virgin or sent, who the Greeks called Isis, the coming forth of their son, Heru. Now, this is known as the Annunciation. Number two, the Immaculate Conception. So the second diagram, the second uh, sketch down there. The Netter Nef, K-N-E-P-H, who represents the Holy Ghost. And the Netter Heru, who the Greeks called Hathor, are symbolically impregnating Oset, who the Greeks called Isis, by holding Onx, which is the African symbol of life, to the nostrils of the virgin mother-to-be. This is the Immaculate Conception. Three, at the top here, the virgin birth. Oset is shown sitting on the birthing stool and the newborn child, Heru, is attended by midwives. Number four, the adoration. The newborn Heru is portrayed receiving gifts from the three kings or magi while being adored by a host of gods and men. Now, this is, these are ancient stories going back thousands of years, long before Christianity was created. This is where this stuff comes from. Now, in the Christian story, it is the uh, angel Gabriel, the messenger angel Gabriel, that delivers to the message to the Virgin Mary that she is going to give birth to Jesus or Yeshua, because letter J didn't exist to 1630 AD. Even when you look at the Holy Quran, even when you look at the Holy Quran, in the Quran, the prophet, the prophet's name is Isa with an I. Why? Because when the Quran was written, the letter J didn't exist. So <laughs> now some people may say, well, our pastors don't know this. <laughs> don't be so sure. Okay. I ain't trying, I'm not trying to start a fight. <laughs> but <laughs> ministers and pastors, when they go through the seminary, they take a, at least one class in what's called comparative religions. Okay. Well, how do we know? Well, this is a very famous uh, pastor that everybody talks about, <laughs> right? <laughs> that actually wrote a paper about this. Okay, who am I talking about? Did you know in 1949, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. wrote a, when he was at Crozier Theological Seminary, he actually wrote a paper dealing with the influence of the mystery religions on Christianity. Well, I never heard anything about that. They didn't talk about that during Dr. King Day. Well, <laughs> you're going to the wrong people. Because <laughs> when I do my, number one, I don't get asked to speak at a lot of Dr. King Day celebrations because I talk about the revolutionary Dr. King. I talk about the Dr. King that owned guns until Bayard Rustin 
convinced him to get rid of his guns. Okay, so I talk about the revolutionary Dr. King, but I talk about this on Dr. King Day. Now, this is from uh, the King Institute at Stanford.com. Sorry, Stanford.edu, the King Institute at Stanford.edu. All right. And I learned this from one of my teachers, Dr. Ray Higgins, years ago. Dr. Ray Higgins did a broadcast where he talked about this. Now, this is by Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. He wrote this between November 29th, 1949 to February 15th, 1950. He was at Crozier Theological Seminary in Boston, to Massachusetts. Dr. King wrote a paper called The Influence of the Mystery Religions on Christianity. Okay, now I'm going to go through a whole thing. You can go through and read this. But here's what I want to focus on. Uh, he talks about the uh, the influence of Osiris and Isis. Let me scroll down to this. He talks about the influence of Osiris. He talks about Adonis. This is another crucified savior, Adonis. So like you, you read the books, the um, Christianity Before Christ by Dr. John G. Jackson, The World's 16 Crucified Saviors by Kersey Graves. You start realizing there's a whole lot of stuff we, we weren't taught. Okay. So let's look at this here. This is, this is Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. that Republicans love to quote. We won't talk about any of this stuff. Dr. King said the Egyptian mysteries of Isis and Osiris exerted considerable influence upon early Christianity. These two great Egyptian deities who were whose worship passed into Europe were revered not only in Rome, but in many other centers where Christian communities were growing up. Osiris and Isis, so the legend runs, were at the same time brother and sister, husband and wife. And this, that's true, coming from the mythology. Because um, the deities were created usually in complementary pairs. But Osiris was murdered. Okay, he's murdered by his brother Set, who's jealous of him. His coffined body being thrown into the Nile and shortly afterwards, the widowed and exiled Isis gave birth to a son, Horus. Okay, the Greeks called him Horus. His name was Heru. Meanwhile, okay, let's see. We gotta, meanwhile, the coffin was washed up on the Syrian coast and became miraculously lodged in the trunk of a tree. This tree afterwards chanced to be cut cut down and made into a pillar in the palace at Byblos. Okay. Now Byblos. All right. Now I'm trying to keep this presentation short because <laughs> I don't even think I'm halfway through that eight pages of notes. I'm on page three. Okay. So just, just bear with me. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to put a footnote here. I'm going to come back to this, uh, dealing with Byblos. Okay. And I'm going to bring up this citation here. Okay, so we'll come back to that. All right. So um, in their palace at Byblos and there Isis at length found it. After recovering Osiris's, uh, Osiris' dismembered body, Isis restored him to life and installed him as a king in the netherworld or the underworld. Meanwhile, Horus, having grown to manhood, reigned on earth later becoming the third person of this great egyptian trinity okay um in the records of herodotus and plutarch we find that there was a festival held each year in egypt celebrating the resurrection of osiris 
the resurrection of us. Dr. King knew this in 1949. While Herodotus fails to give a date for this festival, Plutarch says that it lasted four days, giving the date as the 17th day of the Egyptian month Hathor. Okay, the 17th day of the Egyptian month Hathor, which according to the Alexandria calendar used by him corresponded to November 13th. Other Egyptian records speak of another feast in honor of all the dead uh, when such lamps were lit which was held about November 8th, okay? It is interesting to note that the Christian feast of All Souls or All Souls Day in honor of the dead likewise falls at the beginning of November and in many countries, lamps and candles are burned all night on that, on that occasion. There seems little doubt that this custom was identical with the Egyptian festival in ancient Kemet, amongst African our African ancestors. The festival of all saints, which is held one day before that of all souls day or all souls is probably identical with it in origin. This still stands as a festival in the Christian calendar and thus Christians unconsciously perpetuate the worship of, of Osiris in modern times. <laughs> this is Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. I'm trying to tell y'all. See, we've been lied to about Dr. King. I can't, I mean, you read Dr. King's writings. This brother was a revolutionary. Okay. You read, you, you read uh Dr. King's last book. Where do we go from here? Chaos or community. Well, this is his first book right here, Stride Toward Freedom. Stride Toward Freedom deals with the history of the Montgomery bus boycott. This is his first book. This book came out in 19, 1950, it was 1958, because that's when he got stabbed with a letter opener by uh Isola Ware Curry is a deranged black woman um who stabbed him in the chest with a letter opener he almost died and it was two police officers that rendered him aid before EMS got there to save his life one African American police officer one white police officer okay uh and then we have let me see where is it? This right here. Where do we go from here? Chaos of Community, 1967. This is Dr. King's last book. Dr. King wrote five books. Where do we go from here? Chaos of Community. Probably his best book. All right, now. Let's continue here. Okay. Uh, now, I, I mentioned Biblos, right? So I just want to look at this briefly. Let's go back to the on uh, the online etymological dictionary that I use. There are others. This is etymoline. Biblos, B-Y-B-L-O-S. Ancient Phoenician port, which is modern uh, Jabil in Lebanon, from which Egyptian papyrus was exported to Greece. The name probably is a Greek corruption of the Phoenician Gebel, or Jebel, G-E-B-H-A-L, G-E-B-H-A-L, said to mean literally frontier town or mountain town. When um, I interviewed Sister Nubia Wartford, who's a cultural anthropologist, she talked about Jebel. Um, okay, so it goes through, which is perhaps a folk etymology of the older Phoenician name, which might contain L-E-L, -E -L, which is God, 
like Gabriel or Michael. Michael means he who is like God. The Greek name also might have been influenced by or come from an Egyptian word for papyrus, papyrus, biblos. Now, when we look at biblio, B-I-B-L-I-O, biblio, word forming element, meaning book or sometimes Bible from Greek biblion, paper scroll, also the ordinary word for a book as a division of a larger work, originally a diminutive of Byblos, B-Y-B-L-O-S, Egyptian papyrus. This is perhaps from Byblos, B-Y-B-L-O-S, Byblos with a capital B, the Phoenician port from which Egyptian papyrus was exported to Greece. Or the place name might be from the Greek word, which then would be probably of Egyptian origin, okay? All right, so read the rest of this here as well. This deals with Byblos, B-Y-B-L-O-S. All right, now, let's continue. So I want to try to wrap this up. How you all like this type of information? Give us a thumbs up. Give us a heart. Give us a like. If you like this type of information, the online classes that I teach, and they're, they're all archived now. They're all on demand. The information will blow you away. So you can uh, register. For, we have our, our Kwanzaa bundle pack uh, right now. It's at, at our website africanhistorynetwork.com you get my two online history classes that i teach it's about it's over 30 hours of content in those classes and 15 of my lectures in digital download format that's all on sale for 100 dollars. that's 76 percent off okay let's continue let's go back to the uh powerpoint presentation all right now okay so i did this here on dr king i gotta look at my notes here uh Okay, so let's go back to the PowerPoint presentation. All right, now we're going to go to, I'm going to go through this stuff step by step. So we talked about the winter solstice. What, do, what, what does the word Christmas mean? Okay, Christmas is one of the most significant celebrations in Christianity behind Easter. The, the Epiphany and the Pentecost. Um, the let's see here. Christmas is a, Christ, a Christian feast commemorating the birth of Yeshua or Jesus, December twenty fifth, the day on which this feast is celebrated. Also, you'll see the term Christmas tide. I'll come to that in just a minute. Now, the word Christmas came about uh, right about ten fifty A.D. Comes from the word Christus Mass which means the festival of Christ, or it can mean the mass of Christ, the mass of Christ, M-A-S-S. Now, what is Christmas tide? Okay, we hear this term Christmas tide. The official Christmas season is, is known as Christmas tide or the 12 days of Christmas. It's actually from December 20, was really, um, uh, Sometimes you'll see it expressed as December 26th to January the 6th. Uh, January 6th is the epiphany. Other times you'll see it expressed as December, December 25th to January 5th, which is the eve of the epiphany. Okay. If you read uh, page 98 of Jonathan Green's book, Christmas Miscellany, everything you always wanted to know about Christmas. Okay. Um, where does Christmas come from? from looking at a biblical 
biblical perspective, a biblical perspective. Now, Christmas is based upon the story of the birth of Yeshua, Jesus the Christ. And keep in mind, the word Christ comes from, from um, the Greek word Christos. Christos comes from the comedic word coming from the metal netter, K-A-R-S-T, K-A-R-S-T, K-A-R-S-T. K-A-R-S-T means the rising of the spirit, the rising of the spirit. Now, Christmas is based upon the story of the birth of Yeshua, according to the gospel, according to Matthew, Matthew um, one eighteen through 2.21, and the gospel of Luke, uh, Luke one twenty six through uh, one fifty six. What most people don't know is that nowhere in the biblical text does it mention the celebration of Christmas or that Jesus was born on December 25th or Yeshua. We talked about uh, Yule and Yuletide, Yule celebrated in Scandinavia amongst the Nordic from December 21st through the end of January. You also have the, uh, when we look at these pre-Christian origins of Christmas, okay, you have a festival of Odin, O-D-E-N, Odin, who is the uh, father of Thor, okay, and that comes from Scandinavian mythology. Incidentally, um, uh, Thursday is named after Thor. Thursday, when you study the origins of the days of the week, some of them go back to Scandinavian mythology. Thursday is named after Thor. It's known as Thor's Day. Wednesday was known as Woden's Day, coming from Odin. Friday is coming from Freya, who was the wife of Odin. And then when you look at the fear of Friday the 13th, right? Frigatriscadecophobia, the fear of Friday the 13th, that comes from the prefix Freya. So when we look at like the origins of the of the days of the week, you see uh, mythology uh, woven into that. OK, and it's in one of my uh, the other presentation, I mean, that frigatriscadecophobia. You familiar with that term? I do a whole presentation dealing with uh, why uh, Friday the 13th is an unlucky number. And actually here, if we look, let me just copy this and we just put it in here. I'll show you this here. This is why it's important to have a, a, a prodigious vocabulary, because um, when you can understand more complex words, then they deal with other complex subjects. So let's look at this right here. All right, let me wait. Okay, here we go. Um, at the bottom of the slide, frigatriscadecophobia, F-R-I-G-G-A-T-R-I-S-K-A-I-D-E-K-A-P-H-O-B-I-A. That's the, that's the fear of Friday the 13th. Um, triscadecophobia is the fear of the number 13. Frigatriscadecophobia is the fear of Friday the 13th, especially the unfounded fear of Friday the 13th. All right, now. All right, let's continue. That's still got a lot to get through. Um, okay, Christmas tide. Okay, Christmas from a biblical perspective. So we have Odin, uh, the German pagan uh, god Odin, which is a midwinter holiday. The festival of Saturnalia. Roman festival of Saturnalia, largely December 17th to December 25th. 
the, the Persian festival of Mithra, ancient festival in honor of the Persian sun deity Mithra, which is celebrated from December 25th through January the 1st, also celebrated by the Roman elite. Okay. So when we look at these different, um, oftentimes crucified saviors called crucified saviors, you're going to see that their, uh, celebrations or birthdays fall on or around December 25th, which ties right into the winter solstice and ties right into the rebirth of the sun, not the S-O-N, but the S-U-N, the son of God, because on December 25th, the sun moves one degree northward and it marks the, uh, the first day of an increase in sunlight and the days start getting longer after December 25th. If you read uh, the World's 16 Crucified Saviors by Kersey Graves. It deals with some of these uh, different deities, what are called crucified saviors. Don't beat me up on this. I'm just, I'm just dealing with the history. Coming from other cultures. And then an even better book than, because this book came out about 1875. An even better book than this is from one of our scholars, Dr. John G. Jackson, Christianity Before Christ. Okay, this is an old copy. I got this back in 1994 when I was at Wayne State University. December 31st, 1994. I got this book. Okay. Because most of the books I write the date in them. I learned that my dad taught me to do that. Okay. Now let's continue. Uh, how's everybody doing? Everybody's like so quiet. Y'all okay? Okay. So we talked about what pagan is and what it's not. Uh, we dealt with you. What is Odin? Mythology, the Norse god of wisdom, war, and art, uh, art, culture, and the dead, and the supreme deity and creator of the cosmos and humans. Now, the festival of the Kalends, K-A-L-E-N-D-S. January 1st marked the festival of the Kalends, the first day of the first month of the new year. Okay? And Kalends, K-A-L-E-N-D-S, is the origin of the word calendar. Okay? That shows the different months of the year and the dates. Uh, check that out at Merriam-Webster uh, Dictionary online. Okay, now I talked about how this is all related to astronomy and December twenty-first, the winter solstice, the first day of spring, the first day of winter. Uh, the vernal equinox marks the first day of, of spring. Okay, uh, March twentieth, March twenty-first. American Heritage, Dic Amer American Heritage Dictionary, when we look at the definition of astronomy, astronomy is the scientific study of matter in outer space, especially the positions, dimensions, distribution, motion, composition, energy, and evolution of celestial bodies and phenomena. A system of knowledge, uh, now astronomy is also a system of knowledge or beliefs about celestial phenomena, the various astronomies of ancient civilizations. Okay. And then if we look at what, what is astrology, astrology is the study of the positions and aspects of celestial bodies in the belief that they have an influence on the course of natural earthly occurrences and human affairs. That's astrology. Okay. Now, uh, I want to make sure I get through the slides for this, uh, presentation. Okay. So we did that. Uh, and Freemasonry. So when I talked about the deities coming out of ancient Kemet, we see this represented in um, the movie Black Panther. 
And Black Panther, I've done extensive lectures on the on the film Black Panther. Uh, Eleven different African cultures were incorporated into uh, the movie Black Panther. And Ruth Carter did an excellent job because she she studied African culture for six months and incorporated them into that. But we also see African uh, deities, mythology. So the Panther deity Bast, the Panther deity Bast comes from Bastet, okay, coming out of uh, ancient Kemet, okay. Uh, yes, Kobe, we are live. Uh, ancient, so Bastet is an ancient Egyptian goddess worshipped in the form of a lioness and later a cat. Goddess of warfare in uh, Lower Kemet, Lower Egypt, worshipped as early as the Second Dynasty, about 2890 BCE, before the Common Era. And we know that in uh, we know that in uh, Wakanda, there are 18 different tribes that make up the people of Wakanda. You know, you have the Panther clan, you have the Jabari tribe, you have the Crocodile clan, things like this. OK. And each one has a deity that watches over them, which is similar to a patron saint. And the uh, Bast is said to watch over the people of Wakanda. All right, let's continue here. Um, okay, so why is Christmas celebrated on December 25th? I'm glad you asked that question. There is a, um, there's a book that I got in 2011. That this public that came from the American Bible Society. And it's called The Life of Christ. The Life of Christ. This one right here. Rediscovering how his life, death, and resurrection changed the world. So I was stand, I was at um CVS Pharmacy one day in when I get this, uh, November of 2011. And I was at the checkout counter. And you know, at the checkout counter, they have these different expensive magazines. So I saw it sitting there and I said, okay, so what are they trying to say now? So I, I pick it up and I look through it. And what I saw on page 55, totally blew me away. Not because I didn't know it. I just couldn't believe they published it. So I, I bought this and this cost at the time, this cost $11.99. I bought this specifically for the information that's on page 55. And I said, you know, if you've seen some of my lectures, you see me play the um, skit from the Richard Pryor show from 1977 when he's a, when he's an archeologist in Egypt. And they make a discovery. They find the book of life, the Pert M. Heru, the book of coming forth by day. They call it the book of life in the skit. And Richard Pryor says, I got, I have to get this book out of here. The brothers back home are not going to believe this. This will change the course of history. History will be changed. That's what I said when I saw this. I said, I got to get this book out of here. Now I paid for the book. I ain't steal it. But I said, I have to get this book out of here. 
Here's what it says. In Christianity's early years, people debated when Jesus' birthday should be celebrated. Some Christians were against observing it at all. Some Christians were against observing Jesus' birthday at all as they didn't want Jesus or Yeshua compared to Pharaoh and Herod. Now, they didn't say which Pharaoh. There are numerous Pharaohs in the Subites. Pharaoh and Harold, Herod, whose birthdays were commemorated. But in the fourth century, common era AD, Pope Julius I made it official. Pope Julius I made it official. Christ's birthday or Jesus to Christ, Yeshua, Christ's birthday would be celebrated on December 25th. December 25th was already considered the birthday of the sun, the S-U-N. Using the technology available at the time, ancient astronomers observed that on December 25th, the day started getting longer again. They recognized the date as the winter solstice, when the sun is born again each year. The Romans celebrated the birthday of the god Sol Invictus or the unconquered sun on December 25th. This day was also recognized as the birthday of Mithra, the sun god of the, of the ancient Persians and the birthday of Attis, an agricultural god worshiped in Asia Minor. By choosing December 25th, the church avoided upsetting the masses. No one wanted that festivals canceled, so the church simply combined the new Christian holiday with pagan traditions. Now, this is not me saying this. The American Bible Society put this out, and they're absolutely correct. I just couldn't believe they admitted it. Notice the term pagan traditions. Pagan, I believe, was made negative for a reason. Because if you think it's negative, then you won't investigate. You say, oh, I don't want to be associated with anything pagan. <laughs> they did it to us again. So <laughs> now this is a coin here, a leaf disc dedicated to the deity Soul Invictus, the unconquered sun. All right, uh, now what's interesting is that I did lectures uh, 2011, 2012, and I was citing this information. And if you go to history.com, official website of the History Channel, you look up Christmas, they have some of the same information there, okay? This stuff is not hidden. It's just not pushed forward. It's not prevalent. They feed us nonsense. They feed us Sexy Red and Light Skin Keisha, and Cardi B and Megan Thee Stallion. Just, just nonsense. Rick Ross and Lil Wayne. They feed us distractions. But you have Europeans that know the truth. So here's what happened. I had a sister that contacted me. It was 2012. About 2012, I think it was. Year after this book came out. And she said that she bought the, the, the 2012 version 
of this book, The Life of Christ. She bought the 2012 version. And she said in the 2012 version, the information that's on page 55 in the 2011 version is not in the book at all. So if you get this online, if you get this from Amazon or something like that, get the 2011 version. I don't know if they saw any of my presentations, but I just find it interesting. They were they were accurate in what they said. I find it interesting they removed it. Maybe they got a whole lot of backlash and people complained about it. You know, so. Hey, sometimes, you know. People can't handle the truth. Um, okay, let me see where I am. Okay, now. Okay, we did that. And I'm going to talk about Joie de Piet, Black Pete. I'm going to talk about this very briefly. Then I want to get to pages 120, what I'm looking at, pages 128 and one, pages 126 to 128 of Christianity Before Christ by Dr. John G. Jackson, because this stuff is going to blow you away. This stuff is going to totally blow you away. Um, so I teach about Joie de Piet and Black Pete. I mean, Black Pete, Joie de Piet and Center class, uh, in my classes as well. When you study this history, I mean, it's fascinating. And this ties into the history of the Moors also. So there was a good article from the Washington Post, uh, that I came across, uh, some years ago. And this article deals with the origin origins of black pete now black pete is a moor who's a sidekick to center class okay and, and this comes from the dutch and this they every november early november to december they have this parade celebrating center class and joie de piet coming into the netherlands coming from spain on a steamboat okay this article is called Center Class and Joie de Piet. Why a holiday has me talking to my kids about blackface. Why, why a holiday has me talking to my kids about blackface. Very, very good uh, article. This is written by Tracy Brown Hamilton, December 4th, 2018. Okay. Now here they show, see these Europeans dress up like, Black Pete, Joie de Piet, they put on black face makeup, red lipstick on their lips. They put on clothes that emulates the Moors in 17th, 18th century in Europe. And then you have center class and they're on the steam steamboat. Okay. So in this piece here, it says, um, the tradition is on the Saturday, on the second Saturday of November, the second Saturday of November, Joie de Piet, also known as Black Pete, arrived in the Netherlands on a steamboat from Spain. Now, Spain is where the Moors go into Europe from. Morocco, they go into what was known at the time as the Iberian Peninsula. 
which today is Spain and Portugal, and conquer southern Spain. And they go all throughout Europe and bring civilization to Europeans. Okay, arrives in the Netherlands on a steamboat from Spain, along with center class, a towering, thin, and plushly dressed figure. Hundreds of people gather to watch the steamboat arrive with the Piets dancing and waving while brass band music plays until center class disembarks on a white horse with the Piets walking at his side to greet and offer treats to children. The ritual repeats in cities across the Netherlands until December 5th, the name day of St. Nicholas. So uh, it's either December 5th or December 6th, depending upon which country you're in, the name day of Bishop, Bishop Nicholas, okay? Who was a third and fourth century Bishop in Myra, which is modern day Turkey. Now, Joie de Piet or Black Pete, according to folklore, is an assistant to center class and of Moorish descent. Traditionally, since Piet's first appearance in a children's book in 1850, Joie de Piet is portrayed as a very dark-skinned character with large red lips curly black hair and giant hoop earrings. When Piets appear in person, they are portrayed by volunteers in blackface. Unlike Santa Claus who comes one night a year, center class and Joie de Piet stick around for a few weeks, leaving presents for children in shoes left out by the fireplace each night. A nightly news program called Center Class Journal covers the adventures and hijinks of Sent or Center Class and his servants and makes the experience both magical and believable for children. But we are also inundated with news and protests and riots among those in favor of the Piet tradition and those who wish to see it in. Because a lot of people say it's racist and you have Europeans dressing up in black face with large red lips putting on Afro wigs, okay? Uh, so read the rest of this article, but it, it deals with some of the history, tying into the history of the Moors in Spain, okay? And it deals with some of the origins of, of Joie de Piet, Black Pete, as well as center class, okay? So read this article, center class and Joie de Piet, why, why a holiday has me talking to my kids about blackface. All right, now. Uh, let's continue here. Okay, now we did, let's see. We did that. Let's see. All right, and if you like this type of information, who still needs to um, register for the online history classes that I teach? They're all on demand. You don't have to worry about joining me in the class. We have the uh, bundle pack right now. You get the two online courses and uh, you get 15 of my lectures in a digital download format that's on sale right now, $100. That's our Kwanzaa bundle, that's 76% off. That's over $360 value. So that's available right now at africanhistorynetwork.com. So when you go to the homepage of our website, we have that information right there. Just click right here, order here. It takes you to the next page. And just click, uh, let's see, go to the next page and 
click right here. Okay, Quando Course Bundle 2023, my two online lectures, and just click uh, right here, buy now. And then as soon as you register, you can start watching the content. All right. I want to go to um, page 126 and 128 of Christianity Before Christ by Dr. John G. Jackson. This is a fascinating book. And Dr. Jackson is an ancestor now. This brother did some excellent research. Uh, so let's go to this. I, I um, have this in Microsoft Word format here for the purpose of this presentation. So I didn't get a chance to scan the pages of the book. The book is falling apart. So I got this book December 31st, 1994. But here's what it says. In Egypt or Kemet 3000 years ago, the birth date of the sun deity was celebrated on December 25th. Let's blow this up some more. The birth date of the sun deity was celebrated on December 25th, the first day to noticeably lengthen after the day of the winter solstice, which was December 21st. At the midnight hour on the first minutes of the of the uh, 25th of December, the birthday of the sun was commemorated. On December 25th, the sun is in the constellation of Capricorn. Okay. Now, at this time, 3,000 years ago, the constellation of Capricorn was known as the stable of Aegeus, A U G E U S, in ancient Kemet, because during different periods of time, different countries, different people, the constellations had different names. So 3,000 years ago, the sun on December 25th was in the, in the stable of Aegeus. So the infant sun god, Heru, was said to have been born in a stable, S-T-A-B-L-E, uh-oh. Brightly shining on the meridian was the star Sirius, the star from the star from the east, okay, the star Sirius. While rising in the east was the uh, star Virgo, the Virgin, and Virgo is Latin for, vir for Virgin, with the horizon passing through the center of the constellation. To the right of the star Sirius was constellation of Orion the Hunter, Orion the Hunter with the three stars in Orion's belt. These stars in a straight line point at the star Sirius and were anciently known as the three kings. We have them in the Gospels as the three magi or wise men from the east. Okay. Now, let's just pause right there. Let people get up off the floor. Uh, get some smelling salt. Let's, let's look at this here. And let me go to uh, my constellations. Okay, this slide right here. 
because the star Sirius rises. And around December 25th, the star Sirius is in line with the three stars in Orion's belt, Orion the Hunter. And the star Sirius is in the constellation called the Big Dog, Canis Major. You have the Big Dog and the Little Dog. These are the two dogs, the constellations that follow uh, uh, Orion the Hunter. In ancient times, the constellation of Orion was a star, Osiris. And you have three stars in Orion's belt. Okay. Um, the star Sirius, because the star Sirius is in the constellation of Canis Major, the big dog, the star Sirius was called the dog star. The star Sirius was called the dog star. You ever heard of Sirius Radio? S-I-R-I-S, and it was at one point Sirius XM Radio, Sirius XM Satellite Radio. What was their logo? Their logo was a dog with a star on his head. Why is that? Because the star Sirius is in the constellation of Canis Major, the big dog. So Sirius was known as the dog star. This is where this comes from. Now, To go a step farther, not just like totally knock people out, because I don't want to do that. Um, you ever heard of the, of the Dogon of Mali? And let me see, where is it? It's, it's in my other presentation. You ever heard of the Dogon of Mali and Burkina Faso? So these are ancient African people, the Dogon. And according to their oral tradition, they come from the Sirius A and Sirius B star system. Uh, and I have the slide somewhere. Let me see. I have so many presentations. Just slow down. Hold on. Where is it? We had the Dogon in. Let me see. Where are they? There's also a good article on this from. Um, face-to-faceafrica.com as well. I'll pull that up here in just a minute. Uh, where is my slide on the Dogon? I saw it. Oh, here it is right here. I knew I had it. Okay, let this flip over. Just a second here. Let me see where we're going. Resume slideshow. From current slide. All right. Let's go to this. The Dogon of Mali, they leave ancient Kemet around 400 BC. They go into Central Africa, West Africa. They called the uh, Sirius A Sigitolo. They called Sirius B Potolo. 
And let's look at, so according to their oral tradition, and I'm not going get, to get deep into this because uh, that's the whole, I mean, uh, Professor Kaba, uh, Professor, uh, one of my teachers, Professor Kaba Hiawatha Kamene, you've seen numerous interviews I've done with him. Um, he did a one hour, he did a, uh, really was it, he did about a year, a year weekly program some years ago when I was on Blog Talk Radio. Uh, dealing with the Dogon and the cosmology of the Dogon, mythology of the Dogon, all of that. Let's look at this piece quickly here from um, face-to-faceafrica.com. Now, which one is this? Okay. This deals with the Dogon tribe of Mali discover, discovered this invisible star centuries before Gal- Galileo invented the telescope. So you see, if you if you follow me on Facebook, the African History Network on Facebook, um, we have a million followers there. And then my personal page, Michael M. Hotep, I-M-H-O-T-E-P. Um, you'll see I po- I'll post uh, numerous articles from face-to-faceafrica.com. They really have some good information. Okay, the Dogon tribe of Mali discovered this invisible star centuries before Galileo invented the telescope. Now, this is from uh, Ni Ashley, uh, Ashley. June 26, 2019. And just briefly here, the Dogon tribe is a community of people living in present-day Mali. Their original point of migration to their present locale is not known. However, some scholars uh, have traced their ancestry to the ancient Egyptian empire. They are about 300,000 in population, occupying uh, about 700 villages, with an average of about 500 inhabitants per village. The Dogon possess a rich oral history and knowledge of astronomy, a rich oral history and knowledge of astronomy. And this, and this dates as far back as 3,200 BCE, before the common era. According to the oral literature of the Dogon tribe, the star named Sirius A, the brightest star in the night sky with bluish tinge has an invisible companion, uh, a visible and companion, uh, a, an invisible companion star that scientists uh, have named Sirius B. That's Potolo. Okay, the Dogon call it Potolo. This companion star is not only invisible to the naked eye, but also complete around Sirius A every 50 years. Now, if you read the book, Conversations with Ogo Tomelli, that book uh, goes deep into this uh, astronomy and, and all of this history, mythology, all of it, okay? Now, knowledge of the presence of Sirius B as an invisible companion star to Sirius A and its orbit has been with the Dogon tribe for, for long and it has been incorporated into their oral literature 
as well as customs and ceremonial rituals since the days of antiquity. Long before Galileo is reported to have invented the telescope in 1609. Okay, you can click here to read more. Series B, the, the invisible companion star of Series A remained unseen until a large telescope was used to photograph it in 1970. But even before the invisible star was captured in the night sky by the telescope, Marcel Griol and Germain Dieterlin, two French, two French scientists, are reported to have recorded information on the presence of CB in the sky from four different Dogon priests. Now, Marcel Griol wrote Conversation with Ogotameli, and this is about a lot of this history in, in interviewing uh, the Dogon. According to a Dogon oral tradition, it's of beings from the sky named Nomos gifted them with the knowledge of Sirius B. The Nomos, according to the oral tradition, looked like amphibians. They came down to the Dogons in what resembled an ark. Okay, they came down to the Dogons in what resembled an ark and also taught them many things concerning their own solar system. Facts that were observed some years after Galileo is recorded to have invented the telescope. It is always interesting to discover how advanced in, in knowledge, skill, and wit the ancient African tribes were and the extent of their immense contribution to world civilization. If modern day indigenous Africans per, persons of African descent and the world at large will, will accord some respect and patience in a genuine bid to learn from the continent of Africa, her insights and highly guarded secret teachings can and will be made available for the healing of our world. Okay, read the rest of this piece here. It's a fantastic article. The Dogon tribe of Mali discovered this invisible star centuries before Galileo invented the telescope. Now, when we study, when we study Benjamin Banneker and Benjamin Banneker doing uh, surveying uh, Washington D.C. Uh, for the layout of Washington D.C. Now, when you study um, Egypt on the Potomac by Tony Browder. And uh, you study Benjamin Banneker, uh, it's believed that Benjamin Banneker's uh, grandfather, whose name was Banneker, is believed that he was Dogon. Okay, now we don't know this for 100% certainty, but uh, it's believed he was Dogon. If his grandfather was Dogon, uh, his grandfather would probably have knowledge of astronomy okay uh re re read about uh benjamin banneker here this piece from blackpass.org uh blackpass.org has about six thousand pages dealing with african history african-american history it's one of the sources i use in my classes benjamin banneker 17 1731 1806 and it talks about uh uh, Banneke, let me see, Banneke, his skills, Drew, Banneke. Uh, dealings with Banneke family, blah, blah, Banneke, okay. So 
read this, okay, because I'm running out of time here. All right, now, let's see. Okay, let's go back to Christianity Before Christ by Dr. John G. Jackson. Uh, where is that? Because it's like two pages here. I want to get through this because this is deep. Okay, let's close that out. Banakay. I need Christianity Before Christ. Okay, right here. Okay, so uh, I wanted to get to the Dogon because we're talking about the star Sirius, Sirius B star system, Sirius A, Sirius B, all of that, right? Wise man. Now, in the story, okay, first of all, 80% of the Bible is written in allegory, hyperbole, metaphor, and parables. So you can't take it literally. 80% of the Bible is written in allegory, hyperbole, metaphor, and parables. Those are different writing techniques, different writing tools. Okay, so you can't take it literally. It has a higher meaning. And what they're doing, they're taking ancient stories coming from ancient Kemet, Mesopotamia, Sumer, and they are putting these stories in allegorical form, allegorical form, but then they're taught it's like literal history. So people are totally confused by this. In the story of the three wise men, it says that they see a star in the east and they follow it, right? Because they're going to see the baby Yeshua, Jesus. And they're going to Bethlehem. Bethlehem is to the west of Asia. They're coming from the Orient, right? Asia. Bethlehem is to the west of Asia. So why would they see a star in the east? And go west. It says they follow the star. It doesn't say they saw the star and went in the opposite direction. It said they followed the star. And then it said that, that they traveled three days on camelback. Now, you're talking about traveling 3,000 to 5,000 miles, depending upon how far into Asia they are on camelback over three days they weren't driving cadillacs they weren't driving escalades they're on camelback and they see a star in the east and go west it's a story 80 percent of the bible is written in allegory hyperbole metaphor and parable it's a story Um, unfortunately, 55% of African-Americans take the Bible literally. There was a, uh, article from, there's a study done by Pew Research. Let's look at this quickly here, because this is in my notes to talk about today. A good day to talk about this. A religious portrait of African-Americans, a religious portrait of African-Americans. This is about the Pew Research Center. How many people are familiar with Pew Research?
Hotep, everybody. This is Michael M. Hotep from the African History Network. Our Kwanzaa online history course bundle pack is on sale right now. We have a fantastic promotion for you. Get our bundle pack of two online history courses that I teach, as well as my 15 lecture downloadable bundle, African History Awakens the African Mind from Mental Death. These are both from me, Michael M. Hotep. They're on sale right now for only $100. That's 76% off. My first online history class is Ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa. Understanding the transatlantic slave trade, what they didn't teach you in school. Kemet is one of the original names for Egypt. We deal with thousands of years of history and what leads up to the transatlantic slave trade taking place. I do a PowerPoint presentation. We have book references, articles. There's about 100 articles that we cover in the class. Over 200 slides that I put together as well. The, and there are also video clips, including excerpts of interviews I've done with some of our historians and scholars, as well as Renoka Rashidi, Professor James Small, Anthony Browder, Professor Kabahaya Wafa Kamane, and Dr. David M. Hotel. In the second class that I teach, it's called Black Resistance Movements from the Haitian Revolution, the U.S. Civil War, Civil Rights Movement, and Black Power Movement, 1800 to 1968. And we dig in deep and look at history chronologically from 1800 to 1968 and look at what leads to the Civil War taking place. We study the Jim Crow era, the Reconstruction era, 1865 to 1877, World War I, World War II, Civil Rights Movement, Black Power Movement, and the Great Migration, 1915 and 1970, to understand what happened to us after slavery ended, what were the laws and policies put in place to put us where we are today to understand where we need to go from here. I created both of these classes, created the curriculum, chose the content as well. This sale ends Monday, January 1st, 2024. Visit our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. You'll see the promotion at the top of the page. As soon as you register, you can start watching the content you can join us for our next online class live Sunday, January 7th, 2024 at 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. You can watch all of these classes on demand and even after the course is over with, you don't lose access. Register right now, order right now, visit our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. This sale ends Monday, January 1st, 2024. Uh, also, if you'd like to stop it for information, you support the African History Network, dollar sign The AHN Show through Cash App, dollar sign The AHN Show through Cash App, also through PayPal, paypal.me forward slash The AHN Show. This helps us keep doing the research, stay on the air, keep broadcasting, pay some of the bills. All right, we have to get out of here. Remember, right now, it's correct, wrong behavior is not over till we win. We're kind of forever, and we'll talk to you next time. Peace.